Welcome to 2022, or as I'm calling it, 2020 Part 3. I don't know what your 2021 was like, but I'm ready to close that door. <laughs> and uh, the thing is, is that we don't have a clue as to what 22 has in store for us, do we? <laughs> Here's what we do know. Thanks to Christmas, Emmanuel, God is with us. So wherever you are today, whatever your year was like and whatever your year will become, that remains true, that our God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. So that's our hope this morning. Well, as Pastor Jin told you last week, this morning and the next two weeks, we're going to do a little three-week mini-series on some spiritual disciplines. Now, kids, before you panic and think discipline, this is different kind of discipline. This is practices, spiritual rhythms and practices, things that are foundational to every Christian, every follower of Christ. And this morning, we'll talk about prayer. Next week, Pastor Bill will lead us in looking at Scripture, what Scripture says about Scripture. And the following week, Pastor Jen will be back to talk about community. And I just want to take a moment to clarify something that's true about all three of these by telling you something that is not true of these things. These three things are not the means in which we become a Christian. There is no amount of prayer. There is no magical incantation that you must pray to become a Christian. There is no checking the box of reading your Bible every day. There is no amount of biblical knowledge that makes you a Christian. And in fact, even coming to church, being a part of a small group or a Christian community doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car, right? That's not how we become Christians. We become Christians. We become loving followers of Christ when God, by His grace, opens the eyes of our hearts, breathes life into our souls so that we look to Christ in faith, putting all of our hope, all of our weight, all of our confidence on what He has done through His death and through His resurrection banking on Him in Him alone for all of our freedom, all of our, our, our hope, everything about us, our forgiveness, our relationship with God, all is bound up in what Jesus has already done. That's why we call it the good news, not the good advice. So all the things we're going to talk about this week and the next two are not means to make yourself right with God, but they're things that if you have been made right with God— you feel inside of you a shift, that you're no longer an enemy of God, but you're now a child of God, and you've tasted His goodness, and you know that He is the most amazing, beautiful, awesome thing in the entire universe. And if that's the case, then inside of you, you have this desire, I, I want to be closer to Him. If that is actually available, intimately knowing the creator, sovereign king of the universe, then how do I get closer? How do I know him more? And that's where these practices come in. That's where these spiritual disciplines, as they're often called, come in. These are means of grace by which we draw closer to God. The ways that we know him more and experience more of his reality and his, his presence in our lives. And if you're interested in uh, 
uh, a book that might facilitate, that's kind of broken down into these three categories that we're going to use. There's a book by David Mathis called Habits of Grace. I'd recommend it to you. There's many others out there that talk about these spiritual practices. Uh, That's just a really good one that actually uses these three categories as well. So this morning, we're going to talk about prayer. We know that prayer would be a huge, massive subject. And so for our time, we're going to try and focus in on one aspect of prayer, okay? And that is found in Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. So if you have a copy of your scripture, which I hope you do, uh, digital or, or a hardback or whatever way you can access the scriptures, I invite you to turn there with me. Two short verses this morning, but the verses are loaded with importance for us. And our prayer is that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word this morning, but that we would actually be doers as well. Because this morning, I want to offer you an invitation that it's not my invitation, but it's actually the invitation that Jesus offers you. And it's an invitation to slow down and to listen. It's going to be hard because I talk fast. I'm going to try to not deliver a sermon on slowing down and listening with speed. But to create regular times to be still before the Lord. Luke chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Yet the news about him, Jesus, spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. This is the word of the Lord. In 1992, there was a country music band named Alabama that came out with a song that, that charted number one, at least in the country music billboards. And the song is called, I'm in a hurry and don't know why. I'm in a hurry to get things done, so I rush and rush until life's no fun. Anybody know that song? I'm going to stop there because nobody else needs any more of that. I'm in a hurry and don't know why. Here's how the bridge goes. Oh, I hear a voice that's saying, uh, that says I'm running behind. I better pick up my pace. It's a race, and there ain't no room for someone in second place. I'm in a hurry to get things done, and I don't know why. Here's what's amazing to me. That voice 30 years ago has only gotten louder in my head. I don't know about yours. The voice that says I'm in a hurry I feel like I'm always behind. The ironic thing is that the album that Alabama put that that record on was called American Pride. Because that really is the pride of Americans, isn't it? That's our pride, is our busyness. You see, it used to be that you could, you know, leisure activities and the size of your house used to show your status in society, but now what is our status symbol? I'm so busy. I'm so busy. It's become a part of our culture. It's our badge of honor. And it goes something like this. Hey, how are you? Good. Just busy. Just really busy. This week's been crazy, you know, like all, every week's crazy. Can I just translate that? I am so important that everyone needs me. I am so, my worth and my value is shown 
by how busy and full my schedule is. I am just so important. It's unbelievable. Now, we might not say all of those words, right? But it's deep inside. I see it in myself, and I see it in many of you as well. We love to use the excuse that it's just a season of life until your wife calls you out on that one day, hypothetically, and says, John, it's interesting how one season ties right to another season into another season into another season. And she goes, that's not a season anymore. That's called life. We're busy with all sorts of things. Many of them are really good. Work, school, family, the kids' schedule. Did I mention the kids' schedule? (laughs) Hanging out with friends, hobbies. We're just so busy. Christian philosopher Dallas Willard said once that hurry is the greatest enemy of spiritual life in our day. Hurry is the enemy of spiritual life, the greatest enemy. And he goes on to call us as followers of Christ to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives at all cost. I'm not sure we believe him. I think there's something to that. Corey Ten Boom once said something in a very similar line of thinking. She said that if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. Because the reality is both sin and busyness have the same effect on us. They cut us off from deep, meaningful connection with God, with each other, and even our own selves. It's interesting because on the surface we say things like, I just don't have enough time. I wish there were more hours in the day. Because it seems like we have no margin in our lives, but we know that's not really true, right? We can see through that facade. We actually have a decent amount of margin in our day. We just fill it with a whole lot of really unimportant things. Because we work to fill every single second with noise. Just prior to the pandemic, beginning in in 2020, the average American spent over 11 hours a day connected to some type of media, TV, computer, podcast, music, over 11 hours a day. That's the average, because some of you are sitting here going, I don't spend near that much time. And some of you are like, 11, that's it? Right? 3.1 hours of TV per day, two and a half hours of social media per day, This is all pre-pandemic, by the way. If you don't think that number has skyrocketed. We carry around in our pockets something that can keep us busy at every single moment of every day. I never have to have silence ever again. I never have to be bored because I have this. We average American touches their phone over 2,600 times per day. It's staggering. Most of those touches are at red lights. <laughs> or am I the only one? <laughs> am I the only one that pulls up to a red light and whoop? Too close to home? Sorry. Right? We've been trained. We've, we're addicted to distraction. We're addicted to busy, aren't we? Companies make billions and trillions of dollars for your attention. <laughs> this is a whole industry. You know how your phone tells you 
how many hours and how, how my iPhone at least reports to me every single week. Do you know when it tells me? Sunday mornings. There's conviction. I'm sitting here, Bill's praying, and my phone buzzed. You know what it was? My alert, knowing, letting me know how many minutes, hours I've spent on my phone each day. I need to change that setting to a different day, actually. <laughs> In a book that I would highly recommend called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, named after that Dallas Willard quote, a man named John Mark Comer, who's speaking about how we often grab our cell phones the very second we experience silence or a pause in the action of life. And he says this. He says, all of those little moments of boredom were potential portals to prayer. Little moments throughout our days to wake up to the reality of God all around us. To wake up to our own souls. To draw our mind's attention and with it devotion back to God. To come off the hurry drug and to come home to awareness but now all of those little moments are gone, swallowed up by the digital carnivore. It's true for us, isn't it? It's documented that our attention span has lessened to below that of a goldfish. Think back to just a few minutes ago when Pastor Bill led us in the congregational prayer and he asked to take a moment of silence. That was maybe, what, 30 seconds to a minute? Anybody find how hard that was? You might think about how, when the last time you've intentionally been silent. Maybe for you, it's not a cell phone. Maybe for you, it's that addiction to work and unending email, or your devotion to fitness, or your devotion to some sport or team, or you know, fill in the blank, whatever it is. The reality is, is we do actually have margin in our lives. We just work really hard to fill it with things that aren't really that important. And the pace of life that we live leads towards this, where what we end up doing is we sacrifice the important things that are difficult so that we can have more easy and urgent things. And we all know that's a problem. We are the most medicated, the most anxious, the most stressed out, I can't say that word, stressed out generation on the, that has ever been on this planet. Whatever we're doing is not working, right? It's not working. It's not bringing the life that we hoped it would. Which is why this passage offers something beautiful to us. You see, one of the many things that Jesus accomplished while He was on earth, the foremost being reconciliation with God, Freedom from ourselves, from our sin, from the enemy, from all that enslaved us. Forgiveness for our sins, a pardon. Among all those things, yes, he did that. What he also did was to demonstrate a life filled with wisdom. To demonstrate a life of what it really means to be fully human. And he brings and he offers that to us and says, follow in the way of wisdom. Walk in the way of wisdom. Learn from me. And the way that He offers, a way that makes us most truly human, a way that, that, that brings meaningful life to the fullest, the one that you actually want, seems so counter the picture of our lives. Let me show you what I mean. I mean that Jesus was never in a hurry. He was busy, but He was never in a hurry. 
You see, at this point in Luke's gospel, Jesus has just begun his public ministry. And he's incredibly popular. News has spread of his teaching, and people hear that he is casting out impure spirits, and he's healing people from lifelong diseases, from dangerous, deadly diseases. And verse 15 says that the news spread about him all the more, and crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Jesus knows what it's like to be busy at levels that you and I will never comprehend. And I want you to see what the very first word of verse 16 is. But... In spite of all the busyness, in spite of all the opportunities, all the ministry potential he had in front of him, Jesus knew there was something better, something far more important to him, something he could not live without, which was meaningful connection alone with his Father. Verse 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. In Greek, it says he would go to the Eremos. There, you've learned a Greek word now. You can use it and sound smart sometime, like I tried to do right there. He would go to the Eremos. Now, the Eremos, depending on what your translation is, could mean a number of different things. It can be translated as an actual desert. It could be a deserted place. It can be a lonely place, an isolated place, a quiet place. Are you catching the common thread there? He went to a place of silence and solitude in order to pray. And I want you to notice, if you're using the NIV, how it emphasizes the frequency with which Jesus did this. This is not a one-off thing for Jesus. Jesus often withdrew. And all you have to do is read through the Gospels to see that this is a regular pattern for Jesus. Almost any moment he could, and even ones that were really inconvenient for other people, he was off to an Aramis. He was off doing his thing alone to be with his father. It happens right after his commissioning, after his baptism, he goes out into the Aramis for 40 days. It happens the very first day in Mark chapter 1 that he is publicly proclaimed that he is the Messiah. Early the next morning, he's off to an Aramis. It happens right before and after he chooses his disciples. It actually happens at times that are so inconvenient, his disciples and the crowds get angry at him because they can't find him. Where is he? He's off in the Aramis. He's off by himself alone. Over and over again, even when life gets incredibly busy for Jesus, he's always going away. And this is not Jesus the introvert. This is Jesus knowing there is something better He's not just had it with people. He doesn't go away to empty his mind. He goes to fill and to fix his mind on his Father. So let me ask you a really pointed question this morning. When your life gets busy, which it almost always is, right? Is this lonely time with the Lord, this isolated time of silence and solitude, is it the first thing to go when your schedule gets busy? Or is it the last thing you hold on to because you know you cannot do without it? For Jesus, the answer was clear by his life. It was the latter. He couldn't do without it. 
And this brings us to an important part of prayer that I think is really important for us in in light of the reality of the pace in which many of us brag about living. We complain about it, but we also love it and are addicted to it at the same time. And that is that it kind of makes me wonder, why, why did Jesus have to go to the Aramas? Why did he have to go to these lonely, quiet places all the time? Couldn't he just pray in the synagogue with everybody else? Yes, and he did that, which is why, as Pastor Bill said, we pray together every Tuesday night as a church family on Zoom. It's an important part of prayer. Couldn't he just kind of pray quickly and quietly as he went along his way, as he was healing people? Couldn't he just say a quick prayer then? Yeah. It's right to, to intercede for the needs of others and to bring our requests before the Lord. and That should happen. We're invited to do that. But there's an aspect of prayer that cannot happen with others. There is an aspect of prayer that cannot happen just as you go. And that's that at the heart of prayer, the goal of prayer, the end of prayer, is intimacy with God Himself. See, intimacy is the experience of deeply knowing and being known by someone else. It requires vulnerability. It requires committed, dedicated time. I firmly believe there is a direct connection between having quality time with someone and having quantity of time with someone. can't separate those two. It's a type of relationship where you can just be in the room with them and it's not awkward. You don't have to say anything. You can just be together. And for Jesus, this intimacy with his Father is already his reality. He says over and over again throughout the Gospels, the Father and I are one. We experience this intimacy and have since, the, since before all time, for all eternity. This is the reality. And he knows that it's like the air that he breathes. That intimacy is so important that he prioritizes it over everything else. To get away, to sit with, to be with his Father. And friends, if this is what Jesus, our Lord and Master, needed, don't you think that you do too? Jesus actually said, this isn't just important, this is eternal life. John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. That passage is so important. The problem is when we hear eternal life, our mind gets hijacked and we jump towards heaven someday, future, never die. As if that's all it is, is eternal life is like quantity of time, you'll never die eternal. It's so much more than that. See, biblical eternal life is not just about quantity of time. It's about quality. It's that deep, meaningful life to the fullest, the kind that you've always wanted deep down inside and you're searching for everywhere. That life, Jesus says, is that you would know God. Not intellectually gather some information about God, but deep intimate, one, knowing God. Problem is, we are so busy with so many other things that we don't prioritize the very thing that the God of the universe says will give you the life that you were designed for. This is what Jesus was after. 
cultivating, deepening, developing, growing in this intimacy, which is why he knew he had to go to an Eremos. He had to go to a lonely place. Because here's the thing, you cannot fake intimacy. You can't fake oneness. If the only time I was ever sweet to or close to my wife and my family was when you all would see it, you would know that my family is heading towards a disaster really quickly. You can't fake intimacy. 19th century Scottish preacher named Robert Murray McShane says this. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it convicts me every single time I hear it. He says, What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. I'm going to read that again. What a man is on his knees before God, that he is and nothing more. The real litmus test for you is not what other people say about you, but it's what you are in the quiet places before the Lord. That is who you are. This intimacy cannot be done if you do all the talking. Just think about our human relationships, right? You have that friend who doesn't leave any air in the room for you to speak or share. They just talk the whole time. We call that friend exhausting, right? Might be me, might not be. I hope it's not. But the point is, it can't be done when you're doing all the talking. And if we take a moment and just kind of reflect on what, what is a typical prayer like for us? I think so often, and it's good, it's, it's a good thing to speak our prayers to God. In fact, silent prayers are the exception in the Bible. Most prayers are just verbal shouting of some sort of Jesus. And, and God says, make a shout to the Lord, cry out to Him. We're to speak our words and our needs and our hurts to God. But if your friend calls you and just goes on and on for 10 minutes and hangs up and doesn't take any time to listen, is this a friendship? It's not a functional one. Do we take time to listen? Yes, prayer is talking, but it's more. Prayer is also listening. It's simply being with God, connecting with Him so that we become more aware of His presence in our lives, where we give space just to sit at His feet and listen. What's He going to say? I don't know. But He wants to speak to you. He wants to meet you. He wants to develop that intimacy with you that cannot happen when your head is filled with noise. Because the amazing thing about God is He speaks in a quiet voice. He doesn't shout. Oh, He can. But why would we wait until He has to scream to get our attention when the God of the universe says, I want to whisper amazing things to you. I want to tell you more of who I am and more of you are, more of who you are because of me. And it's only in that Aramis, in that quiet place, cannot be manufactured. It takes a lifetime to develop, a lifetime of cultivating intentionally, carving out that time. Theologian Henry Nguyen said this, he said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. We do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside time to be with God and to listen to Him. Hurry is the enemy of intimacy. And what we need, friends, is to create these regular rhythms 
regular rhythms of creating Eremos, spaces of alone, silent solitude with an intentional purpose to be with our Father. Times where we turn off the distractions, shut off the phone, block out everything else to just be and to listen to what the Lord wants to say to us. One of C.S. Lewis's mentors, his name was Walter Adams, and he said to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer. It only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. This doesn't mean productivity. These times mean you don't have to accomplish anything. God doesn't have to teach you something. You don't have to learn something. You can just be. Wasting time with God, vacation with God, date night with God, whatever you want to call it, just be. And I think that needs to take place on a daily, weekly, and annual or semi-annual basis. And I just want to put this in front of you as a suggestion. Daily, you need moments every single day where you are turning off all the noise in your life, where you're creating an Aramas in your life to hear from the Lord every single day. Some of you, that might be before the kids are up. Some of you, it might be after they're in bed. Some of you, it might be on the bus to school where you're intentionally fixing your mind, saying, God, I want to hear from you. I just want to be with you just for even a minute. For some of you, it's as you take a walk around your neighborhood. It's at your lunch break. It's on your commute. Not being productive, no music, just sitting and being intentionally with the Lord. Weekly, this is also behind the idea of Sabbath, where you take a day a week and devote it to not being productive on purpose. You're not working. You're just being. Do you have moments throughout the week that are extended, not just grab a couple minutes, but 30 minutes, an hour, where you are just quiet and still before the Lord? And on an annual, quarterly, semi-annual, whatever you want to take it as, a retreat, an actual chunk of time, 24 hours, 30 hours, whatever you're able to do, depending on your circumstance, where you shut everything off to be still. A few weeks ago, I just got sick of my excuses as to why I wasn't ever doing this. For years, it was like, I should do that, like kind of 24-hour retreat just to be with the Lord and see what that's like, because never really done that. So I just got sick of all my excuses, and I just worked it out with Jolie in advance. It took planning. It took work to arrange things. But I went down the shore for about 24 or 30 hours. Just went to be with the Lord. No agenda. Left my computer. Turned off my phone once I used the GPS to get there. Right? We, we just shut, I just shut everything off. I took a, a book that was directing my mind towards the Lord. I took my Bible, I took a journal, and I took a hymnal. And I just went, having no plan. And as I'm driving, I'm getting in the car, and I start driving, and about 20 minutes in, I feel this anxiety rising in me. I'm like, God, you better meet me. Come on, come on, we're here, let's go. Meet, come on, time to connect, let's do this thing. And I just heard the Lord very quietly go, is this what you do to Jolie on your date nights? 
that's exhausting. I just started laughing to myself in the car. I was like, why am I so freaked out right now? God, I get to just be with you. I'm here. I don't even know what we're going to do. And it began to be this question, God, God what do you want to do? Do you want to part the clouds and, oh, right? Are we going to have some moment? Or are we just going to spend 24 to 30 hours together where I just practice being human? Where I believe that I am human and stop pretending that I'm God and can do everything and keep going all the time? Am I just going to be still? We get there. I bundle up because it was cold. It was a windy day. And I go for a walk on the beach. And I normally walk fast, but I found myself like hauling it down the beach. I was like, here's, here's what I started hearing. I'm in a hurry to get things done, so I rush and rush until life's no fun. Why am I in a hurry? And it's not about the speed of my walking, it was the speed of my soul. My soul was sprinting because I've been trained for this, because I'm addicted to it, because I need to learn, to, to unlearn the hurry and learn to live at a point of rest. And so I probably walk just as fast physically. But my conversation with the Lord was, Lord, help me to slow down. Slow me down. And like I said, I wish I could, like, I don't want to try and over-sensationalize this. I, there wasn't some, like, aha moment where everything I've been praying for, I got answers to. No, I had things I was specifically asking the Lord about that weekend. Don't have answers. That's okay. Because I found something that was beautiful. I found that I needed that moment of silence. I needed to carve out time from the regular schedule just to be still before the Lord and to listen. And it was awesome. Could I tell you what I learned? Maybe. Maybe there were things that I, I realized about myself. But more importantly, there was something that the Lord wanted to give to me. St. Augustine says, God is always trying to give you good things, but our hands are too full to receive them. God wants to give us his peace, his joy, his love. He wants to remind you, hey, you belong to me. But are we still so loud? Our world is so crazy. If we don't regularly take these times, we will miss out on something better. Listen, I, can, I don't know how you're hearing this, but I can almost hear at least my own excuses. I'm too busy. I, don't, I, I could never do a day retreat like that. Gosh, I'm hitting the ground running right in the morning, and I'm exhausted when I hit the pillow, and boom, I'm just gone. You don't know my schedule. I don't know what I would do for 24 hours. I'd be so bored. I have ADD. Right? I, I mean, I'm going to push on you a little bit. Because if you take any of those excuses all the way down, they result in one of two things. An inflated view of yourself. I am so important. I can't do that. You're not. I'm really sorry to be the one to burst your bubble. You're not actually that important. The world will carry on without you. Or it's a deflated view of who God is. It's going to be boring. God, you're not worth it. Wow. If you feel that resistance to this invitation, I want you to pay attention to your resistance. And maybe that's actually the first thing that you talk to the Lord about in that moment of silence. God, why is this so hard for me? Why am I so resistant to being alone with you? Ask him 
and then sit still long enough to listen. I'm not going to pretend like it's just easy. I'm not going to act like it's not going to be awkward. I'm not going to act like it's going to take work. It is going to take work. It's going to be hard. You've lived however long you've lived and been discipled in the hurry. You can't undo that with 15 minutes of quiet time. But can I tell you that anything that's worth doing is going to be hard. Every day we are tempted to do the things that are easy. The problem is they're just not really worth it. I also know that some of you are feeling shame right now. Oh, great, a sermon on prayer that just talks about how I don't pray enough. Can't wait for Bill's next week to know how much I don't read Scripture enough. It's going to be awesome. If that's what you're hearing, either I've done a poor job communicating that or you've missed the point. The point is not to put shame on you. The point is to invite you into something better. One passage I just want to read to you as we come and wrap our time down and begin to shift towards a time of communion. Luke chapter 10, just want to read a story that embodies this in a way that I think is really profound. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42 says that as Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha. The Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things. But few things are needed, actually only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Friends, isn't that what you actually want? Isn't that what you want, to not waste your life being so distracted, worried, and upset about so many things? Don't you want to intentionally choose what is better, where real life is found? I do not want to live my life so filled with mediocre, less than important things and miss out with connection with the God of the universe. Do you hear what I said? With the God of the universe. We become so casual with God that this gets lost on us. That the one who breathed out the stars that are so big that our minds can't even fathom them, and he holds the universe in the palm of his hand, and he sustains it by a word from his mouth. He doesn't have to lift a finger. The king not some celebrity. That would make us so excited. A celebrity wants to be my friend. No, the king of the universe is inviting you to know him deeper. A king whom there is no end to. You will never find the end of him. Your mind will forever be blown. And it's going, he's inviting you today. Come away with me to an Eremos. Create spaces in your life to regularly meet with the Lord. Here's the crazy thing. We're really scared about what we'll find out about ourselves in those moments. That's why we hate silence, because I don't like to be alone with myself, because there's stuff inside of me that I don't like. And that's why, yes, I hid my communion in the poinsettia. I didn't have anywhere else to put it. Here is why communion is so beautiful. 
Because communion reminds us, it preaches the same gospel that we preach every week, but it just gives it to us in a different form. It reminds you that every single thing that you might find out about yourself, God already knows. He knows that you're easily distracted. He knows that you'd prefer the easy thing over the hard thing. He knows that you don't value Him in the way you should. He knows that you don't value Him nearly as much as He values you. And I know that because He said, this is the new covenant of my blood. This is the price I will pay to be with you. I will hold nothing back from you where God himself took on flesh and his bill prayed earlier for the joy set before him endured the cross. He didn't give you a few moments. He gave you his whole life so that you can be with him. Before we had any interest in God, he had an interest in you. And he came to earth to show you what love really is. There's no greater love than this that he laid down his life for not just his friends, but his enemies. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, if you know that love, then I invite you to take communion with us today. A love that is so real that you can touch it. So as we peel back the top layer, reveal the bread. And the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread after eating and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this. Eat this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. As we peel back the top layer of the cup and you look down into it, this cup represents the new covenant in his blood. And in the same way, after the bread, he took the cup. He said, This is my blood, which is given for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this, drink this in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. For as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And on the day when he returns, you will see him face to face. And you will know deep down inside that every moment spent with him was worth it. You will see him and we will be like him. And until that day, may we be faithful to carve out time to be with the Lord. And more importantly, as we end our time in prayer here, the prayer is actually, Lord, change my heart so that I value you above all else. Let's pray. Father, what amazing love we've just been reminded of. As the Jew sits on our tongue, we can still taste it. We've tasted your goodness once and we keep tasting it now. A love that pursues us and doesn't let us go. A love that's not interested in just starting a relationship and eh, we'll see you later, but a love that pursues us still to this day that wants more. You have, you're so amazing, God.
And I confess and I repent of the fact that my heart does not actually value you as it should. You already know that and you still love me. May that transform us, change us, remind us of your love for us. And Lord, as, as we do that, I, I love you a little more right now than I did earlier. May that continually be true. Father, meet with us. May we prioritize you in the way that you have prioritized us. For your glory and for our good and for the sake of the world around us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.